It's a beautiful song. Love singing it. I also love that Andrew talked before about, about joy, the joy of the shepherds. And uh, certainly the, the candle this week represents joy, the light of joy. And let's face it, we're told that Christmas is, in fact, a time of joy. But I want to ask you a question. Is it really? Like, is it? Is it really? Because let's face it, the truth is, uh, it, joy can be elusive, especially this time of year. There's a guy named Christian Wyman. He's a, a poet and professor of literature at, at Yale. And he's also a, a Christian intellectual. And he wrote actually a book entitled Joy. And it's a collection of poetry and writings on the subject of joy. And he opens the book actually with this kind of a maxim that's used by artists all over the world. And the maxim is this, light writes white. And the idea is, if you're a poet or a novelist or a painter or an artist and you sit down to put something on, on a blank page, if everything's light in your life, if everything's well, if everything's good, then you know what? You have nothing to say. You got nothing. And so art, as the thinking goes, is born out of inner turmoil. It's, it's burn, born out of struggles. It's, it's born out, out of that tension, that, that, that challenge that, that is under the surface in, in all of our lives and sometimes comes out very blatantly. And that's funny. I, I read that and I was thinking, I, I remember my years, you know, I was, uh, for those of you who don't know, I used to be a, a jazz guitar guy. That's what I was doing, right? That's what I was spending my time doing. And uh, if I had a season where I wasn't playing well, you know, we all had that. We'd be like, oh man, here's my problem. I stink. That's my problem. I wish I didn't stink, but I do, right? And you're working hard every day, and you're just, you're kind of at this plateau. You're not growing. And I'd sit there, and I'd go, you know what's my problem? I'm not suffering enough. I got to do what my friend Jim did. What did my friend Jim do? He went and moved to Boston. He went to Boston Berkeley School of Music. Great school. He, he lived in a rat-infested apartment. That's what he did. He, he, he lived on pizza, top ramen, and craft mac and cheese. That's what he did. And then, and then when you're suffering like that, then you can become good. Uh, here's the thing. I learned later that just isn't the thing. It's not, not the case at all. Matter of fact, uh, women will go on and, and he will uh, kind of debunk that theory of joy and artistry and how that works. But it's understandable that we would think that. You know, there was a, a recent neurological study that states that it just takes three seconds for a negative memory to imprint on the brain. Whereas it takes 14 seconds for a positive one to imprint on the brain. I see the nod, like, yeah, we all get it, right? We've all been there. Like, that makes sense. There's a reason for that. So as one scientist put it, your brain is like flypaper for negativity and Teflon for positivity. So, so that happens. We, we face these challenges. And, and then not only that, joy seems elusive to us because, let's face it, we live in a world that's fallen. This is a broken world. The scriptures tell us this clearly. We're, we, we have enemies of the soul. We have the world, the flesh, and the devil warring against us. And then on top of that, you can add other things. You can add the fact there's a 24-7 digital news cycle, that, that, that its economic model is actually built on making profit off of fear, and off of uh, anxiety and worry and distress. And then on top of that, we've just come through a massive pandemic. We've got economic turmoil. We've got rising inflation. And then you add to that the reality that, the, that this time of year, the Christmas season is a mixed bag for people. For some, it is the most wonderful time of the year. But for others, it's hard. 
it's challenging. And so again, we kind of bring all this into Christmas and we're kind of going, joy? I'm not sure if I'm sensing that. And then, then you have these Christmas hymns, these beautiful Christmas hymns, full of theology, full of wonderful things that we declare. And, and they say things like, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. And it goes on from there. And then in those moments where we're wrestling with it and where joy's elusive, we're like, well, what is this? Is this song just sort of irrational optimism? You know, is it kind of like denial? Maybe, maybe it's Christian escapism? Or is it something else? How can we grow in biblical joy, especially in dark times? And, and that's the question that we want to ask as we look at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Go ahead and open to that if you would. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. You'll find that on page 45 in the Bibles, there uh, on the racks beneath the chair in front of you. And um, page 45 in the New Testament, so that's going to be toward the, toward the back of the book. But in honor of God's word, would you please stand and follow along as I read? Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph went up from Galilee to the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him, and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Then the angels had gone away from them into heaven. The the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which they were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Let's pray. Lord, we look to you now to teach us 
And even as we do find joy elusive in our lives in these times, we thank you that your word stands true, that these things are written because they happened. There has been a Savior born, the child, as prophesied by Isaiah centuries before, given to us. And so we ask that you'd use this time right now, that you would, uh, for those of us who are here who are weak, that you would strengthen us. For those of us who are discouraged, that you would bring encouragement by your spirit in this moment through your word. For those of us who are distracted, Lord, that you would rivet our attention on the beauty of this gift in Jesus, your son, the Messiah, the savior of the world. We ask that you would accomplish these things in his name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. So again, we're asking the question, how can we grow in joy, especially in dark times? And we would see that joy resonates in our hearts when we see that, first of all, God orchestrates the miraculous through the mundane. God orchestrates the miraculous through the mundane. We find that in the very first section in verses 1 through 7. I mean, the opening portion here, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken. You'll notice he doesn't explain what a census is. Why? Because they all knew what that was. That happened. It was normal for for rulers to, to do this. Caesar Augustus, he was the ruler of the entire Roman world, which was most of the inhabited earth at the time. And and historians would tell us that, that, that Caesar Augustus, he was the great nephew of Julius Caesar. He was a born fighter. He kind of clawed his way to power by defeating Antony and Cleopatra. And then, um, because he was a very, very smart strategist, uh, he, he was able to militarily conquer and rule this massive empire. Uh, he was actually the first Caesar to be called Augustus, which actually means holy. Or revered. And so in many ways, you see this title was, before Caesar claimed it for himself, was used for the gods of the Roman pantheon. So right here with this Caesar, we start to see, here's a ruler who is claiming, in fact, to be God. And so this massive declaration happens. So what happens because of that? What is that? What's the result in people's lives? They've all got to go to the place of their family origin. And what did that mean for Mary and for Joseph? It means get on a donkey and let's travel four days through all kinds of treacherous land and rugged, rugged terrain to get to Bethlehem. Oh, and by the way, she's pregnant. It's hard. There was one historian who, who, who described um, the, the way in which people would have to travel. And I think these days we take for granted what travel is like. I mean, for us, I was held up at the airport. Yeah, again, first world problem, okay? Really? You know, I, 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 uh, my air conditioning didn't work on the way down through the day. Okay, really? Just roll down a window. I mean, come on. You know, that, that's us. For them... This was arduous, and yet it was very normal. 
So this poor couple is forced to journey to Bethlehem to pay taxes. And yet, what's happening here? We find that God is using this kind of everyday, normal stuff to bring about his mighty, sovereign, wonderful purposes in salvation. And they're intricate. They're not just sort of things where, oh yeah, it's kind of, that was kind of a coincidence how that happened. Uh-uh. No, we find that the birth of the Savior has to happen, where? In Bethlehem. Micah would describe that. Micah the prophet, centuries before, would say, but you, Bethlehem, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, in other words, though you are an inconsequential, off the beaten path, little peon town, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. Whoa. That has to happen. Micah goes on to say more. He says this, his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Wait a minute. Who is this? Yeah, there you go. Indicator right there. This is not an ordinary one being born. He's the one who will rule and he is the messianic king. So if you were there... If I was there, if we were kind of just observing what was going on, what would we see? We would see Caesar Augustus making a decree, the great ruler of the known world. You must do this. You're going to go here. You're going to register for the census. You're going to take care of these things. You're going to pay taxes to me. And we have this small, poor couple, unknown, going to a small, poor town. And yet, the most magnificent wonderful ruler of all is about to be born. We're meant to see in this section something very, very striking, and that is this. Who's the real king here? Hint, it's not Caesar Augustus. And Caesar Augustus, by the way, he actually thinks in this moment that that he's in charge. What do we find here? He's not. No, the Lord God is using Caesar's very commands to orchestrate the fulfillment of his own divine purposes, promises, and plans. These promises have been in place since the era of the Garden of Eden itself. So the question is do we see that? Are you run down right now by the mundane? Are you looking at a living room going, do I really have to decorate for Christmas again? (laughs) Did I just put them all away? I just put it away. What happened? Where is that box in the garage? Oh, man. Are you thinking to yourself, why do we give gifts to those people? We never see them. We don't even like them. Shh, don't say that. We don't. If we're feeling overrun or beaten down by the mundane, this is a moment for us to stop and go, look, in the midst of the mundane, God has divine, wondrous purposes at work. And it was true here. And if you are one who has given your life to Christ because you've received the life only available in him, the forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with the God that you've been far from because of that sin, 
you need to know this. There's not one thing in your life that's wasted. There's not one moment of mundane existence that is in fact mundane or merely existing. Because God works through that to accomplish his purposes. We just need to see it. And when we do, now there's a spark for actual joy. Now we can start to go, wait a minute, hold on. God, you're at work. You're bringing about your good, wonderful, intricate, perfect purposes through this thing. I'm going to trust you. So joy resonates in our hearts when we see that God orchestrates the miraculous through the mundane. But it also resonates when we see how God invades the ordinary with the extraordinary. God invades the ordinary with the extraordinary. We find that in verses 8 through 14. Why? Well, because there's some shepherds there. And what are they doing? They're keeping watch over flocks by night. Why? Because that's what shepherds do. Do you realize how much trouble sheep get into on their own? You can't leave sheep alone. You know, they'll be eating by a brook. And next thing you know, they're in the brook. And the brook's water's going, and you know, there they go. You're like, ah, here we go. I gotta go get them. There was a, a, a great uh, video recently. Maybe you've seen it. I will probably use it. And if you haven't, it's, 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 this, it's a sheep in a ravine. Literally, it's in the ravine. And this shepherd boy is being so tender and patient. And someone had their phone on him and they're videoing this. And so he's pulling the sheep out by the leg. This little ravine. And the ravine stretches on for like, you know, 150 feet down the, down the line. And, and it's about this thick. And the sheep's stuck in there. And so he pulls this sheep out. And you would think the sheep would be like, bah, thank you, shepherd. And just sit down next to him. No. You would think the sheep maybe would go off and, and kind of like go to a nearby pasture and start grazing. Nope. What does it do? I kid you not. A nanosecond after the thing is out of the ravine, it goes prance, prance, jump, jump, la la, and dives right back into the ravine. <laughs> and you're just kind of like this poor shepherd kid's like, really? <laughs> you know, really? So these, these guys are keeping watch over their flocks by night. Now, oh, here's the other thing. Um, maybe in your job, you know, you've, you're there and you're new. Guess, guess, what, get what, guess which shift you're going to actually be put on, probably. Yeah, it's going to be the night shift. So these aren't even like the most like, prominent shepherds. These are like, you know, low-rung shepherds doing the night duty. There they are. Ordinary stuff on, on, the, on the, the slopes around Bethlehem. And then what happens? You've got to love the language in verse 9. Look at what it says. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. <laughs> okay, when it's dark and you're just standing there doing your thing and someone just goes, bam, what does it do? Freaks you out. That's what it does. I actually think I have a superpower, by the way, to do this. I don't know why. I have this way of just walking up to people. I think they see me. They don't. I'm just like, hey, they're like, ah, you know what? If I do it to you, I'm not doing it on purpose. I just, I, I just, I'm invisible. I don't know. I blend in. I just feel like I can do that. Um, yeah, just watch. I'll show up at your work and you won't even know it. Yeah, that'll happen. No, I'm kidding. But, but th- that's, you know, the, the angel just shows up right before them. Notice this. The glory of the Lord shone around them. There's your light in the darkness right there. Caesar rules this land. It's oppressive. 
It's dark. And in the midst of it, the angel suddenly appears and now the glory of the Lord shines. Light in the darkness. There is hope. And yet, there is also fear. Look at the end of verse 9. Notice they weren't simply frightened. They were terribly frightened. We've said this many times before, but you know, all those old TV series of, you know, oh, look, it's an angel or the little cherubs that, you know, oh, isn't that cute? No, angels are not cute. And when you really run into one, guess what happens? You're terrified. That's a theme we see throughout the scriptures. They're not cutesy little beings. They're like majestic, God-honoring displays of his might and his strength. One angel, one, just one, by himself, took out like 182,000 Assyrians. Okay? Just one. And there are myriads of them. So we don't, we don't, we want to be sure that, you know, we're, we're realistic about what an angel is. And that's why most of the time when you see an encounter with angels, the first thing they say is what? Do not be afraid. <laughs> why? Because the person they're encountering is terrified. That's why. And so, in, in, in normal fashion here, what does the angel say in verse 10? Do not be afraid. Why? Behold, I bring you good news of, here it is, great joy. Not just joy. Great joy which will be for all the people. What's that mean? For the planet. Are you a human being? This news is for you. All people. Every tribe. Every tongue. Every nation. Today in the city of David, as prophecy would have declared centuries before, today has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There's so much in there. Savior, God saves. Jesus' name, that's what it means. God saves. Christ, that's, that's the designation of the Messiah, the promised one, the one that the prophet Daniel foretold would come and rule and take all the wrongs and make them right. The one who would rule in righteousness, justice, the one who would give his people joy, peace, rest, restoration, salvation. And notice this is Christ, the Lord. The Lord. God himself. That word can be translated in various ways, but Yahweh was the most popular way in the Old Testament. This will be a sign for you. You're, so if, if they're standing there, by the way, if, if the angel isn't appearing isn't enough of a sign for him, <laughs> you know, it's like, that's a pretty good sign. But in case that's not enough, there's a sign I'm going to give you. What is it? You're going to go and you're going to find a baby wrapped in cloth. That's not a big deal. Lying in a manger. Oh, <laughs> okay. That would stand out. And then if that wasn't enough, Suddenly, there's that word again, an entire multitude of the heavenly host appears. How many does that mean? I don't know. That is a Christmas concert I would have wanted to be at, okay? That's something. Those dark hills, 
Glory of the Lord shows with an angel. And now there's an entire host. You know, a host of angels, that, that term for host can actually mean a military assembly of some kind, like a unit or a phalanx or one of those kinds of designations. But notice here, it is gathered not to destroy, it is gathered not to declare war, but instead it is there to declare peace. And the joy that comes from that peace. Good tidings of great joy. Uh, Literally, it could be translated this way. I evangelize to you a great joy. (laughs) That's what the word is. So this joy that's available, you'll notice it comes not because of anything the shepherds have done, but because of what God's done. The song they sing, glory to God in the highest. Praise and glory. His glory is showing there. Glory has this idea of the visible manifestation of who God is in his holiness. And so there it is. The glory has been displayed there, and yet they're saying, glory be to you, God. Praise be unto you in the highest. Angels praise God. And on earth, peace among men with whom he's pleased. This isn't some sort of sappy peace. This isn't some sort of, you know, simply kind of like, oh, let's just be at peace. No, the reality is, is there is war. There is separation from God because of sin. And so this declaration of peace isn't just some sort of sentimental, wishy-washy peace. It's actual peace that's really brought about because the separation between human beings and God because of their sin is going to be dealt with by this Savior. This is not just some sort of hallmark channel-y peace. It's real peace. It's gritty because it deals with the actual problem that we are a people who've sinned against God. We sin against him in what we think, in what we say, in what we do. And when you look into the Bible, we find out we were born sinners. We don't become sinners because we sin. No, we sin because we are, in fact, sinners. But God didn't leave us there. He, he's giving us here a way to have peace with him. And that's why that qualifier is there. It doesn't come by any other way except through the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. And receiving that gift by faith. Admitting that we're sinners, receiving the gift of the Savior. And if you haven't done that and you're here today or you're with us online, the invitation to you is this very day that you would turn to God and trust Him. Receive this gift. Come to that place of confessing your sin to God. And then... As you receive the gift that is Jesus, you also receive his righteousness. Your right, unrighteousness is placed on him. His righteousness is placed upon you. And your sins are cast away into the depths of the sea, never to be seen again. Past, present, and future sin. Gone. He declared on the cross, it is finished. And he rose from the dead to prove 
that all that he said is true and to prove that the sacrifice that he made to God was acceptable to God. Payment was made in full. So joy resonates in our hearts when we see this, does it not? If you really see it. So we need to see that God orchestrates the miraculous through the mundane. We also need to see how God invades the ordinary with the extraordinary. And lastly, joy also resonates in us when we see God's intricate miracle, the birth of Jesus. I use the word intricate on purpose because so many things had to come together to make it happen. Again, Caesar thinks he's making a decree. You know what? The only reason that decree was there was not so that he can number how many people are in the empire. It was really there so that this poor couple, unknown by most, would go to this unknown, you know, off the beaten path, small little town, so that the greatest thing that ever happened in all of human history could happen in that place. And that's God's style, isn't it? God loves to use the small. God loves to use the the seemingly unimportant. God uses those who, who, who don't have the place of prominence to accomplish his mighty things, his mighty works. In verse 15, we see that after the shepherds go, or the angels go away into heaven, the shepherds say, hey, we got it. Let's go straight to Bethlehem right now. So they just took off. Now, I don't know what happened with the other shepherds. Like, you did what? You know, I'm not sure. I don't think they cared at that point. They went straight away. And then they shared with everybody what had happened in verse 17. They find Mary and Joseph and the baby and find them in the manger, just as was told them. But they, they share with everybody what's going on. They tell them what's happening. And, and uh, I, I love seeing the different reactions here. Look at verse 18. All who heard it wondered at the things that were told them by the shepherds. Huh. That's a great word. To wonder at something. Whoa. That's like a, like a pause and going, huh, what does this mean? There, there's automatically interest. There's automatically sort of an excitement about this. Like, wait, what, what, what could this be? How does this work? Why would that happen? And then we see Mary's response. And her demeanor is, is really noteworthy for all of us. Look at what she does. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. So, so we find that she's pondering these things. We find others are, are, are wondering about these things. The, the, these things in verse 18 and 19 are the same things. Everything that's happened thus far in the account. But, but, but we, we need this to experience this treasuring of things, this pondering of things. We, as a people, definitely need this notion of wonder. Uh, re- recently, uh, there's, there's a guy who, who works uh, with theology and art a lot. Um, actually, he was, he was uh, my, my advisor for some of the work I did at Trinity. I just finished up, you know, not long ago. And what he says this as a people, he's talking about art, he's talking about the gospel, and he's talking about how art relates to the gospel and how as God's people, we ought to be those who are enjoying art because God gave us the ability to make art in his image. He's the great artist, right? We're emulating him when we do that. 
But it's also good for our souls to, to take in that creative element of what it means to be human. And he said this, we are a people who are experience rich, but wonder poor. And that's true. Think of all the experiences we have. We experience everything all the time, don't we? I mean, there's, there's an entire industry based on experiences, right? Go get a gift card for someone so they can have an experience. All of us have these phones where we're experiencing. Well, we're not really experiencing. That's another story altogether. But we think we're experiencing these different things. We want the experience. We want this. We want that. We, we're kind of like content intakers, right? We're just taking in content, taking it in. We're experiencing tons of stuff. But are we people of wonder? Does even having all those things at our fingertips in some ways cause us to kind of, I don't know, diminish in wonder? Because it's there all the time at our fingertips? How does this wonder work exactly? You know, how, how do you come to that place of wonder? I, I think it's noteworthy. If you look at verses 18 and 19, there's like that word cluster there. You've got wondering, you've got treasuring, you've got pondering, you, you've got, you've got a, kind of a a cluster of, 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 of verbs there. And so we need to learn from Mary. She, she treasured these things. What were the things she treasured? Well, the things that described throughout the account, like I said. So she thought that. To ponder means to take something and look at it in your mind and turn it over and turn it over and stop and think. I, I feel like for us, pondering, for many of us, the first thing is, what is that? We don't even know what that is. And then secondly, if we didn't know what it is, we're like, well, when do I have time to do that? Because I got to get up, and here's what I got to do. I got to go, 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 go. Oh, when I'm done with that, you know what I do? I go, 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 go. And then I've got to go, 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 go. And then I find myself in a heap on a chair in the living room. Going, I really got to get into bed somehow right now. How do I do that? And that's our lives. Here, I think, from Mary and, and from the others present in this moment, we learn something. We need to learn how to stop, to ponder, to think on these wonders, to be put in awe. And I think when we do that, that's when we'll begin to cultivate a growing sense of not only wonder, but also joy. So will you do that in the weeks ahead? We're in Advent season. Will, will, you, will you take advantage of this season, these weeks, to do that? What does that mean? Well, first it's going to mean you've got to set aside time for this. You're going to have to carve out time just for this. To do what? To sit and think on God, the things of God, and the wonders of the gospel and the provision of Jesus. You've got to take time to do that. Plunge into the Bible. Take it in. Drink it in deeply. Think on it. Spend time with God, talking with God in prayer. Enjoy time with him. Not just to say, oh, I check off the box or I did that. But no, because you really are thinking of these things, as Mary did in verse 19, and pondering them in your heart. Meditating on it. 
That, that, that Hebrew word for meditation really does mean to chew on the cud. It's, it's the same term that would be used of, of cows when they eat. I don't want to gross you out, okay? But when cows eat, apparently, they have multiple stomachs. They chew, swallow, and they chew some more and swallow. Leave it at that. But that's the idea of ruminating on something. And that's what meditation is. And I think we see Mary doing that very thing here. You know, you might actually want to journal. Some of you are like, I've been walking with Jesus my, you know, for, for years. And I already do that. Praise God. Some of you are like just beginning to consider the things of Jesus. I mean, th- this has been really your first time to even look at these things. And journaling can be a helpful tool where you can just take a small book of some kind with blank paper in it, spend time in a short portion of scripture. Maybe you would take maybe five verses or so in this account and just think on it and pray and go, okay, Lord, what, what's in here? Uh, you might want to use a method that we've used several years here at our church. We didn't come up with it, but we found it helpful. And we just call it light bulbs, question marks, and arrows. So it's pretty much in your little journal, you draw a little light bulb, circle it. And then you got the passage there and you write down what jumps off the page at you. And then question mark. And you're reading the passage, you're thinking on it, you're praying on it, and you go, what questions would I ask the author if they were sitting right here with me right now? And then you draw a little arrow on the page. And you, and, and you go, okay, what am I going to do with this? How am I going to live this out? What, what's going to be different when I get up from this time, this day, because of what I've read and prayed through? And you write that down. I think these are the times to do that. And that's, that's just one way. By the way, that's just one way. There are so many ways to pursue having time to ponder that would lead to wonder. And when we're in that frame of mind, we grow in joy. You know, Christmas really is a time of joy. When we look at historically what it is, when we look at what God has done, when we take into our hearts the amazing orchestration that God underwent to bring about this beautiful thing called salvation in Christ. That God would orchestrate the miraculous through the mundane. That he would invade the ordinary with the extraordinary to save sinners like us. That, that, that he would bring us to a, a place of seeing Jesus, the Holy One, the Merciful One, the grace that he brings to save sinners. When we really see this, how can we live through this season and not grow in joy. Let's pray. Lord, we would ask that you'd work in our hearts, that you would awaken within us that same wonder that we would treasure and ponder within our hearts these amazing acts that you've accomplished. Thank you, Lord, for invading this dark world with your light. Thank you for that intricate miracle, the birth of Jesus, all those prophecies fulfilled. Thank you that the shepherds could leave and praise you 
with everything they'd seen and heard, just as it had been told them. And we pray, Lord, that we would, would do the same. Grace us in these weeks ahead to grow in joy because we see you and what you've accomplished and what you are doing, even in these dark days. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you go into this week ahead, please go as those seeing what God has done more, rejoicing in his finished work in Christ. Be amazed at how God takes that which is mundane and brings about the miraculous. Approach each moment in prayer, seeking Christ, reflecting his glory, and rejoicing because the Lord has come. He is with us. So go in that joy. Amen.